Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. And today we have Eben Britton joining us. He's a former American football offensive tackle who played six seasons in the NFL. He's a fierce cannabis advocate, a member of the Gridiron Cannabis Coalition, a group that advocates for the NFL to change its policies on cannabis. And he's also a member of the Doctors for Cannabis Regulation NFL Steering Committee. He produces the podcast Hot Boxing, where he shares the stories of famous athletes to his audience with his co-host, Mike Tyson, as well as a very deep and Transcendental podcast called Evan Flow. Evan, we're so pleased to have you today. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, it's International Podcast Day today. That's exciting. It's exciting because to get to have you on our show, it's just so cool because I, we've been listening to your podcast and seeing everything that you're doing. And it's even more interesting that we were connected from our podcast producer, Alan, from Pretty Easy Podcast, which we just learned you guys grew up together and went to school together. So that's so very cool. Um, yeah. So it's just really great that it is a podcast day and a podcast of what's actually uh, bringing us together, which is so very cool. Um, and when Elizabeth and I found out that we were going to have the opportunity <laughs> to talk with you, thanks to Alan, uh, we checked out your website and we were just really so impressed with your story. And so for our listeners that may not know your background, Brown. wanted to know if maybe you can give us a snapshot of your journey with cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so vast. <laughs> Where it's to start? A, <laughs> um, the long, long story short is I had this dream when I was about seven or eight years old of playing in the NFL and being one of these gridiron warriors uh, my mom would never let me play football. She was always worried I'd get hurt. Um, so finally, my freshman year of high school, with the help of my dad, we convinced her to let me play. And from that moment forward, my whole life really became about reaching the top of this mountain, which was becoming a professional football player. So everything I thought about, how I carried myself, how I trained, how I played, played the game when I stepped on the field. Every aspect and, and cell of my being was engaged in achieving this dream. So through that process, I made it to the NFL, finally. Um, and as is part of the story for every guy who plays football for long enough. Injuries are a huge part of the game. I suffered a laundry list of injuries like every other guy that plays dislocated shoulder, herniated discs in my back, had multiple surgeries, you know, concussions, scar tissue all over the place. Um, and because of my, I, I have to put some or give some credit, obviously, to my, my parents who were always very holistically minded people when it came to health and well-being. So it was eat, eat healthy, eat the right foods, get plenty of exercise, drink plenty of water, use whatever natural means are available before going to see a doctor. Um, you know, I did. My mom was dragging me to yoga classes when I was 12 years old. Um, which, you know, I'm so grateful for that background. And, and that really carried over into my life as an athlete in this super competitive um, 
very violent sport that I was playing. So through that process of dealing with a lot of injuries, you know, pills, prescription pills and opiates are really the, that's the mainstream above the line way to handle and treat these issues that guys are dealing with. Every single guy in an NFL locker room, 90, I'll say 98, 99% of guys in an NFL locker room are on a daily prescription uh, anti-inflammatory, whether that's cataflam or indocin, these highly toxic um, anti-inflammatory drugs that really wreak havoc on your digestive system, on your liver and kidneys. And, you know, you see it all the time. It goes sort of under the radar of mainstream media, but you know, guys are suffering liver failure and kidney failure at very young ages, in their mid-30s, early 40s, you know, and, and it's just wreaking havoc on players' lives. So for me, having that holistic background that I did, I always gravitated towards cannabis as my preferred source of pain management, as a recovery tool. After a long day of the grind, it helped me come home uh, and get and decompress physically, emotionally, and get a good night's sleep and wake up the next day ready to go again. Um, So coming out of my NFL career after six years, which was plenty, (laughs) um, I felt as though I, my mind and my body were kept intact because of my cannabis use throughout my football career. Whereas I'm looking around and, you know, guys I played with, guys I looked up to throughout my football career. I'm looking at them and their lives after football and, you know, they're really struggling and they're in a lot of pain and they're addicted to all sorts of shit. And they're just, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic, you know? So my life after football started when I wrote this article for SI.com And I talked about my experience dealing with injuries and prescription pills and talked a little bit about cannabis. And that very organically led me into cannabis advocacy. And um, I I met this guy named Kyle Turley, who was one of my childhood heroes. He's an all-pro offensive tackle, uh, who was really the tip of the spear in the movement for cannabis as medicine for NFL players in particular. And the reason for that is what it does to heal the brain. So I met Kyle and he asked me if I was interested in coming to speak at a conference with him in Phoenix to tell my story about how cannabis benefited me throughout my football career. And at the time, I wasn't really sure what my story meant to anyone else. I wasn't sure how I could be of service in that. Uh, but I, I felt, you know, there was something in my gut that said it was important for me to share my story. Um, so I went to this conference and I told my story and I'm looking out at this group of people and it's, It's cancer survivors, it's military veterans, it's these families who have children that suffer these severe seizure syndromes like Treves, who have gone from a thousand seizures a week to, you know, one or two seizures a month. In some cases, these these kids, through the use of cannabis oil, have completely gotten rid of their seizures and gotten off of all medications and so forth. And I'm just, I was so struck by the breath 
of people across the spectrum that this plant has had a positive effect on. And I'm coming from this place of having been a team captain, always a leader in the locker room, always a guy. I mean, in Jacksonville, guys would call me the golden child because it seemed as though I could do no wrong in the coach's eyes. And I was always a guy that the coaches looked to to set the example for everyone. So the fact, the idea of my coaches or my teammates or anyone finding out that I was a quote unquote stoner was hard. It was a horror to me. It was horrific. I, I couldn't have possibly imagined that. So I always kept my cannabis use very, very close to the chest, you know, and very private. So this was really the first time I was being outspoken about my cannabis use and seeing how many people it affected. I tell my story. Next up is Kyle Turley and he goes and he starts talking about the federal government's patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants patent 6,630,507. And it just blew my mind. It blew my mind that the federal government, the very organization that has demonized and stigmatized and made illegal this plant has also seen through scientific studies the actual applicable medicinal benefit of the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant. And so, you know, what does that mean? Can cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants, that means that they've seen through through studies that the cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant not only protect our brains from damage, but they also help our brains heal once They've endured some sort of trauma or damage. And so my entire experience with cannabis was legitimized and validated. And it really lit this fire of needing to learn as much as I could, gather as much information and knowledge around this plant, the history of it, the science behind it, and express that truth into the world via the vehicle of my NFL career. Um, and that led me into learning about the endocannabinoid system and how our bodies produce cannabinoids that are basically mere replicas of the, same, of the, the cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant. And our endocannabinoid system is responsible for our appetite and our mood and how we feel and deal with pain and our sleep rhythms, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it just, I couldn't be silent. I couldn't, you know, it, it was very clear that this was what my life was going to be about. Being a truth teller, seeking out the truth, being a light for people who are living in the darkness and expressing, you know, by, by whatever means I can, um, to enlighten people to the benefits of holistic health and well-being. Um, so that's kind of how I got into cannabis. You know, so it was very. I, I have to, have to uh, ask you about the NFL. I'm sorry, don't mean to interrupt. But no, go ahead. I, I don't have an in-depth knowledge of football. I have done some work with the NFL. They are a machine that yeah. you cannot penetrate. I. I can't even believe that there's something called Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, a steering committee. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. Is the NFL finally moving towards allowing players to use cannabis? Is, is 
I mean, they have a steering committee? Well, no. See, this was, so this is part of the work that I've been involved in in my life after the NFL. Um, so there was the Gridiron Cannabis Coalition, which was Kyle Turley's organization, um, who really brought me into my, the cannabis world. Doctors for Cannabis Regulation was a group of doctors um, organized by a guy named Dr. David. His last name escapes me at the moment, but it's a, it's a coalition of MDs who are advocating for the legalization of cannabis. And so they approached myself and a handful of other NFL guys to be a part of their movement, to help amplify everything we were doing. They then sent an open letter to the NFL. I think you could probably find it somewhere online. They sent basically an open letter to the NFL outlining why cannabis should be made legal, outlining why cannabis should be made available to the players in the NFL, et cetera. And that, that was a very um, crucial part of this whole thing because to have now, not only are you taking the anecdotal experience of all these NFL guys, and there are way more than are even uh, recognized. You know, every time I meet an NFL guy who is doing well in his life after football, he's very aware of and is using cannabis to heal himself or has used cannabis to heal himself. So this has sort of been the, the underground secret, the underground railroad of life after the NFL is through cannabis and plant medicine in particular. So, um, so to have the doctors for cannabis regulation come into the fold, that was a big moment because now we had MDs, physicians, doctors, medical experts coming in to back up everything that we had been saying about, look, I'm in better shape coming out of my football career because I used cannabis. And these guys who are unable to use it because of the, the stigma around it, because of the uh, lack of information and the misinformation around cannabis, they're in worse shape because they're not using it. Um, and that, that has become very clear. And I think more guys today are very aware of that fact that cannabis and CBD can benefit them during their NFL careers. Is there, is there hope that one so day- part? Yes. Yeah, so in this last, in the, in the most recent CBA, I believe it was negotiated that they've, they've basically either taken cannabis off their banned substance list and are not testing for it, or they have dropped the, or raised the amount of cannabinoids allowed, the threshold of cannabinoids allowed in drug test samples to such a point that a guy can't really be tested positive for cannabis. So there's been a lot of movement. Now, that being said, this CBA did a lot of damage to players' health and well-being once again, but whatever they got, part of the deal for players was that cannabis was taken off the banned substance list. That 
needs to be verified. That was um, early on in the negotiations of this latest CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. I believe that was on the table and that was something that they were really discussing. Um, But I haven't heard anything and that could be for very good reason. I mean, the NFL is very PR sensitive, you know, and it's all about protecting the shield and making sure that the, uh, the messaging and the uh, image of the league is not tarnished. So there has been very promising movement. It, it just has not been the most widely publicized information. And even if it takes some time for the NFL to say, okay, we'll, we'll be okay with it, what you were saying about transitioning out of the NFL, when players are done now with their career, how – how cannabis can be such an instrumental tool in helping their lives uh, post football. So I think that that was really important to, to speak on as well, because really so many athletes, whether they're professional football players or, or various other athletes um, to maybe their sport doesn't allow them to use cannabis now, but as they transition out, when their bodies really feel all that stress yeah. uh, from the sport, I think that, that it's amazing that you've been so open to share your journey with everyone. Um, and it's opened up so many doors for you. It seems like you've been able to now, you know, through your podcast interview, so many different people. I mean, Elizabeth and I were looking at the list and you've had such an excellent opportunity to talk to so many different athletes. And I know I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You don't have to pick just one, but maybe if there was a couple or one or two interviews that really spoke to you, that maybe there were folks that you talked about that you either learned something really surprising about them or that just you had a really engaging experience in interviewing them that maybe impacted you. So I'm curious if you have any favorites or surprising episodes. Um. <laughs> It's a tough question. And I forget. I actually, I've, I've talked to people about hot boxing, uh, my pod with, with Mike. Um, and I forget a lot of the times who we've actually had on there. And I'm reminded, and I'm like, holy shit, we talked to this guy. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but one thing I want to say before I tell you who some of my favorite conversations have been on that show Um, you know, honestly, I think this is just a testament to young people listening to this. It's my life is a testament to just following your truth and following where, you know, your inner truth takes you. Uh, because, you know, coming out of my football career being my identity was completely obliterated. I had no idea of what I was going to do with my life. I had no idea of how I was going to make money, support my family, put food on the table. And people looked at me as if I was fucking out of my mind for starting to speak about my experience with cannabis. You know, in fact, I had conversations with people where they said, uh, well, Eb, I mean, you've totally alienated yourself from the football community. Wow. And it felt like that for a while. But what's so interesting is, via my speaking of my truth, it has literally brought me back into my football community because all of these guys are, are saying, Eb, it's fucking, you've been saying the shit I've been thinking my whole life, <laughs> right. you know? So I just want to make that point for anyone, you know, curious about my story and, and the, the, 
the sort of superficial success I've experienced in my life after football and how that can appear as, as sort of a magical ride. It's really just a testament to speaking your truth and, and letting spirit take you where it needs you to go. Um, which led me into doing this podcast with Mike Tyson called hot boxing. Um, and so that show I got, so actually funny enough, I got hooked up with Mike via one of my former team doctors in the NFL who was coming out to Los Angeles to go to this medical cannabis summit being put on by Mike Tyson, and his, his cannabis company, Tyson ranch. And he said, Eb, I've been following you since you left here. Uh, I'm so proud of you. So awesome to see what you're doing. It really looks like you're one of the leaders in this movement. He even said to me, you know, he's like, I have to, I have completely stopped prescribing guys the opiates because I see what it's doing to these guys. And I'm very open and interested in the power of cannabis and CBD. And he said, I want to introduce you to Mike and his team because I think, you know, there's something there for you. Um, so I got introduced to Mike. Long story short, his business partners wanted to crank up his podcast again. As if nothing else, as a PR vehicle, as a marketing vehicle for his cannabis company. And so that uh, hot box and emerged out of that. And as it sort of started as this cannabis forward conversation chamber, it really evolved into, you know, bringing people who would otherwise have no interest or um, I guess interest is really the right word, who would otherwise have no interest in being involved in anything cannabis related. You're bringing them into a podcast environment, which is very cannabis oriented. I mean, Mike is literally chain smoking joints. (laughs) you know, throughout the episodes. (laughs) And uh, obviously cannabis has been very healing for Mike as well. Um, So it immediately brings that, that into the conversation. And some of my favorites that we've had, I don't know if I can nail it down to two, but (laughs) Tony Robbins, obviously, LL Cool J, Snoop Dogg, um, There was another one that, oh, Terry Crews. Terry Crews is a guy, you know, he played in the NFL for a few years, uh, maybe about as long as I did, about six years, five, six years. And he really is one of those guys that I look up to as having totally transitioned his life into something even bigger than that. Um, And and really as a testament to him following his truth and following spirit. And so it's been amazing. I mean, Snoop Dogg as I mean, you can't really get much more than the godfather or the dog father of cannabis. Than right. Snoop. You know, um, be I'll real. Ask you about an episode in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So I listened to the um, podcast that you did with Mike and Dennis Rodman. Yeah. And I was really touched because you all were so. Um, interested in taking care of one another. And so what really struck me was what you're saying when Dennis Rodman said, you know, you're, you're a star, you're an athlete, you have all the money. And then that part 
of your life is over and like, okay, what's next? And, and I get it even hearing you talk about it. Um, but he opens up to you, Rodman does and says, you know, I've been thinking about jumping out of a plane and seeing if God's hands will catch me. And Mike's yeah. like, no, don't do that. God. <laughs> you, you, you need like the frog or ayahuasca. Yes. <laughs> and I love that. And I just wondered if, you have personal experience with eyes, either of those things. And, um, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about what Mike was referring to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dennis was one of my favorite guests of all time. Um, you know, and like Mike, I was so struck by when I first met Mike. Everyone really treats him as this demigod. You know, he's sort of a contemporary Hercules in a way, you know, and he's maybe the most controversial character alive in sports today. You know, on one end of the spectrum, you have people shouting from the rooftops that he's a convicted rapist. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people shouting from the rooftops that he's the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. And he is both of those things. And he's also the man in the middle who is full of humility and has a lot of pain in him. And, you know, how we really connected was through just this. I just approached him as as my brother, you know. And when he first met me, he gave me a hug. And I was so struck by his heart and his humility. And... You know, Mike and I have I've I've had this really interesting experience of witnessing Mike on this very intense healing process that he's gone through over the last couple of years, where he's been able to unload a lot of the trauma from his childhood and get put a lot of context behind his experience. Um, the you know the immense highs and the immense lows that he's experienced in his life, and that's part of what is so compelling about him and his story and his voice and what he shares and why he's so helpful for a guy like Dennis. And Dennis is the same, you know, Dennis is, these, these are as alpha male as you can get as masculine as you can get. And yet they're some of the most sensitive men I've ever met, you know, emotionally sensitive, just, it's what um, I felt when I listened to you all. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, you know, I guess that's one of my gifts as well as my sensitivity. My dad has said from the time I was a little boy, he was like, yeah, you're just always, you've always been so sensitive. <laughs> and it's true, you know. And so it was really uh, that conversation in particular with Dennis has still sticks out as one of my favorites. Um, throughout the whole experience of hot boxing. And it's because, you know, Dennis is really still in this process of coming to terms with himself, you know, and as athletes who reach a particular level of success, much of our life after sports is about coming to terms with ourselves. You know, and I think that's true probably in life in general. It's a, it's, you know, because we we live in this culture where it's so forbidden to allow yourself to just be a human. And 
and I think men in particular right now are in a bit of a crisis because we've been we've been simmered in this idea of sort of the John Wayne character of masculinity. And you're not allowed to show emotions and you're not allowed to fuck up and you're not allowed to fail. And, um, you know, and that's really the, that's really the richness of masculinity. And we have this, I've been listening, I listen to a lot of spiritual talks and one in particular, this guy, Robert Bly, who's very, he's a poet, American poet who talks a lot about masculinity and he talks about um, how over the last few centuries, we've created this Hercules complex in men where if you're not victorious, then you're nothing and you have no place in the world. And so, you know, Dennis, that thing he said of, I just want to jump out of an airplane and have God catch me. Well, from the shaman's perspective, it's like, well, the karma of that is you're just going to fall to your death because that's not how God works, you know? And so Mike says, well, you need the toad or you need ayahuasca. And I have had, I've done multiple ayahuasca ceremonies now. I have not done the toad. The toad is 5-MeO-DMT. Ayahuasca is DMT. And DMT is a compound that we create in our pineal glands. And some have hypothesized that DMT is the gateway of the soul into the physical realm. So when you're born or when you come into being in your mother's womb, you get your first hit of DMT. And then on your deathbed, you have another hit of DMT as you exit the physical body. And so DMT and 5-MeO-DMT, DMT is known as the spirit molecule. 5-MeO-DMT is known as the God molecule. Um, They show you by removing the ego, so we, we all have an ego, which is basically our identification mechanism for how we move and relate to the world around us. So when I come into this podcast interview, you guys are interviewing Evan Britton, former NFL player, cannabis advocate. But that's just really an identification purpose. So we have a place to start this conversation from. Because if I come in and it's like, I'm a light being and we're all light beings, guys. Where do we, what the fuck is the conversation going to be about, you know, which is really the truth of the matter, you know? And so the process of being is much about, like I said, it's coming to terms with yourself. And so, you know, DMT, 5-MeO-DMT, by removing the ego, you have an opportunity to view yourself and your life without the judgment and denial that you're always putting on it through the veil or through the lens of your ego. And so things that you have immense shame about and guilt and all of these um, really deep feelings, you know, that I would say we're being desensitized by through technology, social media, Uh, you know, through other various distractions of the materialism of America and the Western world, you know, we are forced to confront the reality of our feelings and thoughts and and the truth of who we are. Um, And so when you take these things, whether it's ayahuasca 
or you take the toad or you take psilocybin or LSD or any of these psychedelics, which are incredible tools of healing, um, which I'm very fond of. I'm very fond of all of them. Um, it allows you to relieve yourself of the burden of carrying around the past. So for instance, you know, Mike, our journey really started because when I met Mike, he was surrounded, he was encased in this dark cloud of shame and guilt. And he had a really difficult time. He was very much a slave to his vices still, you know, uh, hard drugs like cocaine, um, his addiction to sex and, and, you know, love and seeking out the um, approval and the comfort of women and outside of his marriage. And he was a fucking mess, you know, but he came into this. Basically, I mean, Mike was on the verge of there was a point that came while well, we, we had just started the podcast and there was a point that came where everyone was kind of looking at each other like, I don't, you know, Mike not even make it. You know, Mike, Mike might be dead soon and this whole company might fall apart. And so they brought in this guy, Dr. Jerry, who's sort of a world renowned toad shaman who facilitates these five MEO DMT ceremonies. And we brought this guy into the podcast and Dr. Jerry is telling Mike about the experience of, you know, smoking the toad venom. And uh, Mike is... Mike honestly had gotten off the plane after like a 48 hour bender in Vegas. And he was, he was a mess. He looked really terrible. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll fucking try that shit. You have it here. I want to try that. And the doc, you know, the doctor's like, it's like free basing into the heart of God, Mike. And your, you, your ego is totally destroyed. And <laughs> you basically, um, have an experience of the higher truths of yourself. And Mike's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll try that shit. Um, so he goes into the other room and it was like a storm that was happening. It was, uh, I mean, the lights were flickering. It felt like fucking darkness had descended upon the office. It was so intense. And Mike came out about 30 minutes later and he looked like a different person. Like he was light and shiny and the darkness had been dissipated. And um, it was really the beginning of this great awakening for Mike, you know? And so that's, and what it did was it allowed Mike to be released from all of his pain and trauma. You know, and that's what these psychedelic substances do. And what Mike was referring to when he was telling Dennis that he needed to, that before he decided to jump out of an airplane without a parachute to have the hands of God catch him, you know, you should try one of these plant medicines because they basically give you the same thing, only you're not jumping to your death, you know, um, so psychedelics, plant medicine, you know, cannabis to me has become really, it, it's revealed itself to me to be the foundational plant medicine. You know, cannabis is definitely a gateway drug, but it's a gateway into healing. 
You know, it's not a gateway into other shit. It's not a gateway to death the way, you know, dare and the war on drugs has made us all believe, but it's really a gateway into healing. And so as you climb the, the pyramid of plant medicines, these psychedelics begin to emerge, psilocybin and medicinal mushrooms and LSD and DMT and 5-MeO-DMT. And um, it's all about relieving yourself of the baggage of your past and your trauma and all of the things that you've put on yourself because you feel as though you're, we're supposed to carry this shit around with us, you know? Um, and now during the pandemic, everyone's carrying uh, so much more. And I've yes. seen through the news, though, that, you know, many cities are are now starting to fight towards advocacy around, you know, we're, we're still working on getting cannabis legalized, you know, nationwide. But the fact that psilocybin and these other psychedelic plant medicines are now, you know, being decriminalized um, in mm-hmm. places like Ann Arbor. And I know that it's, it's soon to be hopefully in Washington, D.C. and in various other places. Um, you know, the fact that it's even getting the attention and making it into the headlines, I feel like is so important because it's like, whoa, wait, what? A cosmic shift is happening here right yeah. now in our world where we're suffering this global pandemic. And now this idea that more than ever, we should be separating our ego from ourselves and thinking about how we could relate more to one another, because this is this collective um, trauma that we're feeling. And, And to feel connected to one another, I feel is more important than anything right now, while our country at the same time seems more divided than ever. Absolutely. Perfectly said. I mean, you know, before COVID, human beings were in a complete spiritual and emotional crisis. And we were already beginning to see these plant medicines emerge. And that's part of the intelligence of these medicines. You know, uh, we are in dire need of this realization of this letting go of our ego and social media and technology really exacerbates this identification with our individuality. And so what these plant medicines do is it removes all that and it shows you the deeper hidden truths of this experience of being human. And so that's, I mean, you know, it's no coincidence that you're seeing all of these things be decriminalized and even just coming into the forefront of conversations, you know. Um, And COVID for me, it was interesting because I did an ayahuasca ceremony literally the week before COVID hit. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so that was really profound. But then I've actually told people since then that COVID has been like a six month ayahuasca ceremony, you know, and what I mean by that is, and and this goes to, to the, the, the greater definition of what these medicines are all about is, you know, this lockdown has really gone, taken me to the depths of myself and all of the shit, all of my shit, my, my mechanisms of functioning have been brought to the surface. You know, I have a deep-seated need to save everyone. I have a um, deep-seated repulsion of authority figures. I have 
Um, you know, and these are things that these are lifetime things that I it's part of my life path to work through these things, you know. And so COVID has really brought those to the forefront of my experience, you know, because every day it's like having the conversations with people, um, trying to navigate my emotions and feelings and the things that come up with whatever regulations or, or things come up throughout the week, you know, and whatever things the government's talking about and et cetera, et cetera, you know, and it's like the warrior in me really wants to go to war and wants to go to battle. But what spirit keeps showing me is that this life is about putting the sword down and it's about coming together, you know? And so I don't think, and I'm in this big, um, personal, my, my personal relationship with social media is in massive flux because I know this, this documentary has just come out, The Social Dilemma, oh, which yeah. highlights. <laughs> I which told I Elizabeth actually, she had to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody keeps telling me I have to watch it, and I haven't watched it yet because oh. I'm literally feeling this. I, I've been feeling this, and this has been swirling in my consciousness, the, you know, just my, and feeling my own repulsion around social media and how it makes me feel, you know, scrolling for five minutes, I come out of it. My head is fucking spinning. I feel depressed. I feel sick. I feel angry. I feel alone. I feel so discombobulated. And it takes me another 10 minutes to sort of gather my mind back together, you know? And so, um, I did a whole series on this in the ebb and flow that people can check out called deconstructing social media. And I really just wanted to put my finger on what's happening. Like, how did we get here? You know, because this thing, technology is great. Like the fact that you guys can be in Maryland and Pennsylvania and I can be in Los Angeles and we could be having this conversation. It's amazing. But the underbelly side of of the experience and the tools is really led us down this ego driven trap, you know, that's not doing us any favors when it comes to the greater need of the survival of humans. If that makes sense. I know that sounds. And you have to make sure that after you watch that documentary that you follow up with us so we can have a chat with you, because I know that you took three parts for you to get your social media podcast on. It was three different parts. So I feel like after you see this documentary, you may do part four, because a lot of what you were saying in the podcast, it, it. the way that it's explained in the documentary is coming from the engineering perspective. Uh So you're, you're, you know, the feelings that you feel are because that is the way that the sites were engineered to make Uh you feel. And when you can feel empowered by understanding how the mechanism works, I feel that we have to be more conscious in our use of social media and how we utilize it, how we get our information. And really what I took away from this is we need to get back to the truth. And getting back to saying what is real, because what happens is if you're in a part of the country that's Googling something like climate change, for example, that the people that live near you think it's a hoax. When you go to type in climate change in Google, 
a hoax will pop up. It'll say climate change mm. is a hoax, not because that is what's real, but because the people around you more often look for that. Oh, so if you so it's really interesting to think that the way that we collect information is not so much by what is true, but mm -hmm. what is being shared more often. And yes. the, the computers don't recognize that. So what you know, this this idea that while we are, are working to raise awareness about cannabis and, and raise awareness about plant medicine, that if we can create a collective of, of the truth, the, the yes. actual, you know, the, the science behind everything, you know, knowing that the sources of the information that we share as a cannabis collective is what is out there and we through plant media project are working really hard to bring together the right people in the in the community to help share their stories because we know that this is a problem and we know that the stigma still exists and we know that the only way we can really move forward out of this is getting people the real honest information that they need so they can make the right decisions for themselves i love that that's the answer right there so I'll have to check it out. Okay, there you go. And then we'll, we'll have to have a follow-up conversation. Sounds I'd love good. to hear your, your take on that. And you just really appreciate so much you taking the time and talking to us about, you know, what you've done, you know, being a professional athlete and, and speaking out about your cannabis use and health benefits, it does carry a lot of weight. And, and we know that that took a lot. That first time that you were in Arizona and spoke out at that first conference, you know, that was, it took a lot of guts and you weren't sure what that what kind of response we're going to get from the industry. And now that you've seen that, you know, the professional athletes, you know, are really, you know, coming together and saying many of them that plant medicine is something that they want to be incorporated into their wellness. And, you know, like you said, from uh, Pennsylvania, now I'm from Pittsburgh. So we love our sports here. Yeah. And, you know, for all the sports fans out there that want to advocate for players to have access to plant medicine, like what would be the best way for others to get involved in this movement? Mm. You know, you guys sent me the questions and I thought that was such a great <laughs> question. Um, and I started, I was trying to think about that, you know, how, because that is, you know, that is really the most important thing. Like what, how do we get into action? How do we get into action to make things change? Um, so, one way I would say is to, you know, this is vast because part of the issue is how sports media has painted athletes into this corner of, and it goes to the conversation of, how athletes contracts are reported and how much money athletes are making. So it creates this distance between the athletes and the fans where it's like, shut the fuck up and play, you know, mentality. And so I guess the first part would be an emotional or intellectual shift in let's just support our athletes and whatever they need or whatever they express, you know? And so um, when it comes to having freedom to use, uh, you know, substances, natural holistic remedies like cannabis, first of all, just take that in and allow that information to be there and then go and do your own research and educate yourself on why, why are we even saying that athletes should be able to use cannabis as medicine? 
The second thing you can do is, um, so one thing you guys didn't mention, or I didn't mention, is that um, aside from Gridiron Cannabis Coalition, I also formed an organization called Athletes for Care. So you can go to athletesforcare.org, and there's many ways for you to get involved there. There's, we right. have over 200 athletes that have all come together in this mission of pushing cannabis and natural health practices in professional leagues. Um, you know, the other thing I would say is write to, write to the fucking NFL headquarters, right to, you know, right to, cause really all the decision-making that happens in the NFL is about what their audience base right. is interested in seeing. And so, you know, the NFL is a very conservative group. It's all very, it's built on blue collar, you know, working class conservative people. And um, so the more that the fans write in to NFL headquarters, write Roger Goodell a letter and say how much you would appreciate it if he allowed his players to use cannabis. Yes. You know, and that goes for all sports leagues. I mean, you know, certain things, you know, the NHL, they don't even test for cannabis. Major League Baseball doesn't even test for cannabis. The NBA, I'm not exactly sure their stance, but I know they're much more lenient than the NFL is. Um, you know, and so right to the organization itself, right to the NFL headquarters, right to, you know, the front office of the leagues and say, you believe that players should have access to the medicines that they believe in, cannabis included. And, you know, one of the things that I've, that myself and all the other guys, especially from the NFL, have said in our advocacy is that, you know, the NFL is such a powerful organization. So, it, has an, it has an incredible opportunity to really be the innovators in brain health and mental health practices, uh, medicines, etc. And so why not be that? Why wait for someone else to carry the torch? Why don't, why doesn't the NFL stand up and say, you know what, we're going to support our players in their health, their physical and mental health and well-being. And we're going to really take a serious look at these, these remedies that are available. So that would be my suggestion. Go to athletesforcare.org. There's plenty to get involved in there. And then write the, write the league office. Write Roger Goodell a letter and tell him that you believe athletes should have access to the medicines that they believe in. Great. We've definitely enjoyed having you on the show with us today. Um, and to make sure that people are able to connect with your podcast, which website should they go to to connect with Hotboxing and Ebb and Flow? Um, Go to ebbinbritain.com. That has everything there. That has hotbox and links and ebb and flow. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at edsbritain um, on Twitter as well. And uh, hey, I really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. It's been our pleasure to have you today. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on The Vine, a plant media project podcast. We hope that you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And to learn more about Plant Media Project, visit plantmediaproject.com. 